Welcome to Former Speed Ahead. I'm Craig Fuller here with Joe Chimileski. Joe, how are you? You're the managing director of Deloitte. You're, you focus a lot on the future of how goods are moved through the economy. Love to t- dive into uh, what, what you guys are seeing and what you're hearing from your clients and how you're thinking about the future. Before we start that, give us a little bit of primer on what Deloitte is doing around the transportation space. Yeah, well, Craig, pleasure to spend time with you, and uh, and thanks for having me here. Um, you know, we're we play across the world of transportation. Specifically, one of the things that I look at is the intersection of supply chain and the transportation industry, and in particular, looking at some of the trends around the future of movement of goods. Um, you know, when we look at at the world of the future of movement of goods. We're looking at a number of, you know, we're looking at an industry that's facing a number of both opportunities and challenges. You know, on the opportunity side, you've got a tremendous growth in the amount of, you know, freight that's moving through the economy and moving through the world. You also have this incredible insurgence, I think, of of technology, you know, that's driving things like autonomous vehicles and drones. Uh, and and all of that is resting on an incredible base of of data. You know, on the other hand, you know, you're seeing some challenges in the market. You know, you're definitely seeing uh, increasing expectations from the end consumer about how, where, and how much visibility and control they have over their goods. Uh, government and regulatory action that might may or may be on the horizon. Uh, infrastructure limitations. Uh, you know, port congestion, road congestion. You name it. Uh, and, and talent availability, all as kind of major issues that are swirling around at the moment. And kind of in that world of swirl, you know, we were asking the question, what does it take for organizations to be successful and navigate, you know, this new world that they're sitting in? And that's really the, the, what we consider to be the future of movement of goods, how to navigate that world, those opportunities and those challenges. Yeah, it's a fascinating topic. It's something that has certainly been playing out more precipitously, at least top of mind, in a COVID and post-COVID world. The, you know, 10 years of technology innovation were compressed in three to four months. And I think it's fascinating how successful certain types of retailers and even food delivery com- or food companies, restaurants, uh, were in the COVID environment, while some of their peers were left behind and some of them weren't able to survive. How did you guys, when you were looking at the space and what was happening during this COVID cycle, wh- how did you determine or how how were the determinations of the winners versus losers? How did that, what were the most common elements that determined who won? So when we looked at the, you know, the kind of ecosystem, and and by the way, I totally agree with you on COVID. COVID is a major accelerator of a whole host of trends that existed before, and it kicked a number of them really into kind of, you know, high gear. When we think about the, you know, the sort of conditions or the pillars, if you will, that companies that are successful or most successful in it really kind of falls down to three of them that, that we looked at. One is connected community. A second is how companies are engaging with holistic decision-making. And the third is how they're kind of navigating this world of intelligent automation. So connected community is all about 
how do you operate in this extraordinarily fragmented ecosystem? And how do you partner together with other players in the ecosystem in order to collaborate and drive more benefit? And people who are collaborating more are generally benefiting more. On the holistic decision-making side, this is all about this absolute sea of data that companies are swimming in. And by the way, there's more data being added every second uh, to the world of data that needs to be crunched and processed and made use of within the world of the transportation ecosystem. So the companies that are making best use of that data are also driving more success for themselves. And then when it comes to intelligent automation, you know, it's the companies that are navigating this balance of what humans and machines are doing now and in the future and the implications associated with it that are best positioning themselves for success. And it's not just a race to you know, adopt the newest technologies per se. That is certainly a part of it. But it's also how do you train, upskill, and invest in your workforce for the work that is human work um, as we move forward? So both of those dimensions on, on uh, intelligent automation. So Joe, a number of companies were better positioned or at least well-prepared, I should say, uh, as, as they could be for what uh, happened uh, during the initial days of the quarantine and over the, the next couple of following months. Others were not, but we've seen some organizations that played rapid catch-up and, and sort of adapted their entire business model around this new reality. I, I'm curious, what were the steps that those companies took to really uh, that maybe were not as prepared as, say, an Amazon that that you know has has been planning this out for. It feels like the day that Jeff Bezos come, came up with the idea. H how did those companies rapidly adapt, and in some cases thrive, where yeah. perhaps they weren't as uh, sophisticated or or forward planning as as perhaps what what others were. Yeah. Well, Craig, I love that you use the term thrive. Right. Because as we, you know, when we think about a response cycle to a shock like COVID, there's the kind of initial phase of simply the immediate term response. And then the what tends to differentiate organizations that succeed is the speed with which they are able to pivot to more of a thrive mindset. Right. So. It may be the case, and in fact, it was the case that many organizations were sort of knocked back unexpectedly as a result of, of, uh, of COVID. And it's the organizations we believe that are that during that period where the response was one of adopting a, you know, either a thrive mindset or a kind of, you know, panic mindset that the companies that had the opportunity to make certain investments uh, and utilize the COVID time period to position themselves for success coming out of COVID are the ones that we think are actually setting themselves up for the most degree of, of ultimate success. So it's really, I mean, the, the analogy of peacetime versus wartime CEOs gets a lot of conversation in the startup community. It seems like, you know, there's a lot of conversation in early mid-March about wartime. This is the time to be the wartime CEO. Certainly my board was advising it. Um, you know, as a founder in an early company, it's easy to be a wartime CEO because you are you are fighting for your life, it feels like, every day. But this also seemed to play out with some of the larger entities, some of the larger companies. 
uh, also uh, were adapting quickly. Um, and I see some companies really th uh, thrived in that, others didn't. Um, it's going to be interesting to watch. I'm wondering as we sort of move into this post-COVID environment, which I, I hope and believe that we're, we're at the end of that cycle, how much of this, uh, the way that we've shifted our lives, do you guys believe will be persistent, will change, and will be permanent versus how much we'll go back to a level of normalcy? You know, it, it's the it's the ten million dollar question, but a lot of our a lot of what uh, we're sort of sensing right now is that a number of changes that we've observed, you know, during COVID are likely to have pretty significant, you know, ramp, uh, longer lasting effects. You know, there are questions, I think, about, um, you know, the model of which people have become, you know, very used to during COVID of expanding their, you know, their habits of um, at-home delivery, for example, working remotely. You know, we are, it's hard to predict exactly what the future of work is going to look like. But what seems obvious is that this cycle that we've gone through with the adoption of technology and homework technology has altered the ability that companies have to think about the way that they structure their workforces. You know, the other way that we sort of have observed this is that, you know, I think COVID for many organizations has become a, um, a mechanism by which certain changes, uh, you know, that may have been considered became uh, amplified or the urgency behind them became amplified, right? So, for example, you think about vaccine distribution. There are organizations that, by virtue of vaccine distribution, needed to make sure that they were making significant investments in their uh, monitoring equipment, their cold chain optimization, their package tracking, their, the security of, uh, of their goods in transit. Now, the question that we think is pretty interesting is, once you've made that investment and you have that capability, what are the knock-on capabilities that are going to get unlocked as we move forward in that world? I mean, is it acceleration of cat? Obviously, visibility and transparency, right? You yeah. Know, knowing where my stuff is at all times, but I also imagine that it helps accelerate cash flows because I know what's in not only what's in inventory but what's transporting. I can better manage my whole supply chain more effectively. Yeah, and Craig, I would say you know the biggest factor. So when we when we tested the market, we actually went out and and you know, we kind of had this hypothesis about what was going to lead to success in the future. We actually went out and tested the market and did both interviews and gathered data. And what we found when we tested, what are the kind of responses to um, the pressures that we're seeing that companies are facing? In fact, the number one response that companies came back with was data sharing. There, nearly 100% of organizations that we surveyed told us that they already are or intend to significantly increase their rate of data sharing with other players within the ecosystem, either by virtue of things like digital freight platforms or smart ports or even other you know, means of sharing data. And I think to your point, Craig, the point, you know, the, the kind of underlying driver of that is to gain more accuracy as to what is where in the system at any moment, and then to be able to make better decisions off of that. And certainly there are 
you know, financial implications associated with that as well. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting sort of going back and playing to the early days of March 2020 and thinking about just the amount of volume of products that were moving through the system. And then this nasty hangover in early April where it just felt like everything had died or everything had stopped. The world was standing still. And it was pretty dramatic in the freight and logistics industry because our industry was on the front lines. They were really the ones that were delivering the the goods, the groceries and the toilet paper and all the PPE equipment. Uh, and then facing sort of the residual of that is that home hangover when everything else was shut down. And it's pretty dramatic to look at the data elements, as you mentioned, just look at the data itself and the charts of the volume of goods moving through the economy and how just how volatile that was. But I think about what's happened over since then. And we've we've seen consumer spending at levels, uh, consumer consumption, I should say, of physical goods at levels that are unprecedented. Yet there's still something like one point seven trillion dollars on the on the sidelines. What is your thinking? And and as we go back into we resume, you know, society resumes a norm. What ends up happening with consumer spending? I mean, any any ideas on how that shapes how companies should be thinking about consumer behavior? Well, I, I'll be the first to tell you that I'm no expert when it comes to um, you know making specific predictions about consumer behavior. Uh, or what consumer spending is going to look like in the future. Although, you know, just as an, an observant citizen, you know, everything that you're saying is, is certainly resonating. And I think, you know, there are reasons to expect that if trends continue with regard to, you know, what we're seeing as far as vaccine distribution and rollout, and we see the economy being able to kind of move itself back towards, um, a, you know, a fuller level of output, that you know, we would expect to see a um, a degree of economic growth that is going to you know continue to push many of the trends that we're seeing right now. Right? It's it's a little hard to believe that you wouldn't expect to continue to see um, significant you know increase in growing demand for transportation services underlying you know a reopening of the economy, and you know, and then layer on top of that all of the kind of other technological trends that we're seeing in the marketplace. And it creates a pretty interesting world, to be honest. So what does 2025 look like? We think about the future. We have, you know, touchless delivery now, restaurant, local restaurants that were, you know, had no desire to do takeout or delivery um, have started to make that a core part of their business. There's a local butcher here in Chattanooga, Tennessee that um, has really thrived. And now a bigger part of their business is, is takeout. Whereas before it was, they, they would have the butcher section and they would, you know, it had a restaurant and it's just become a huge piece of, of how business is operated. And I wonder how much of that's going to stay with us and what does the next couple of years look like? Yeah. Well, in the world of transportation, you know, there are a couple of, a couple of trends that we definitely expect to see you know, as you look out maybe on that five-year plus horizon, you know, first, I think, as we've kind of talked about, we would expect to see an increasing amount of collaboration amongst all of the underlying players within the transportation ecosystem, whether they're stitching themselves together via platforms or whether they're engaging in 
you know, more joint innovation as organizations. Um, we also expect to see a much higher adoption of, of underlying and enabling technology, both in the form of continued use of a growth in the world of autonomous, uh, you know, machines and robots, but also in the adoption of artificial intelligence, which kind of sits behind the scenes and help companies sort through this mountain of data that's continuing to, you know, sort of come in the front door. Um, you know, again, I think we expect to see a lot more efficiency and a lot more accuracy in terms of the visibility that end consumers therefore have in the supply chain, where pinpoint precision as to where a package is and the ability to kind of dynamically route those packages for themselves to meet their needs. I mean, as you mentioned, the developments of the last, just in terms of consumer behavior in the COVID environment has enabled a lot of that technology uh, to accelerate. It's enabled uh, companies to start thinking about these items and consumer behavior to be more accepting of things like autonomous or robotic or drone delivery. I mean, is this stuff on the horizon? Are we are we going to be able to, in a couple of years, in your view, uh, have products delivered by uh, a, a robotic vehicle or items dropped from the air? I think the answer is yes. You know, right now we are seeing organizations that are testing things like drone delivery or robotic last mile delivery. It's certainly not at scale yet, but they're absolutely in the testing phase. You know, we're also seeing, um, you know, the adoption and scaling of autonomous and semi-autonomous uh, trucking. We're seeing states that are considering and getting pretty serious about the idea, for example, of cordoning off or dedicating certain lanes for autonomous or semi-autonomous trucks. Um, we're seeing a significant adoption of warehouse robotics. So I think across the board, you know, you we should expect to see a continued growth in autonomous and uh, and the use of robotics when it comes to, you know, not just the behind the scenes, but also even as it comes to the last mile and even the last footsteps. But technologies, it seems like that's going to accelerate, but is society ready? And more importantly, is the regulatory environment ready? for autonomous vehicles. This is something that's, that I'm always sort of thinking about is to have point-to-point -point delivery, you need municipalities, state, and federal government to allow for that uh, autonomous vehicle. Do you think we're at a point where we we can start ex expecting uh, a, a forward regulatory environment, or is this going to be just a case-by-case -case basis? Yeah, I think you know, what we would probably expect to see is for the first level of action to be taking place probably within certain states. And there are, you know, already states that are, you know, contemplating pretty seriously what's the what are the regulatory environments that need to exist in order to spur the adoption of autonomous technologies. So I think on the one hand, you'll see probably a little bit more of a patchwork action in terms of some of the regulatory environment. And on the kind of technology adoption side, I think you would, we would also expect to not see a kind of overnight transformation uh, where robots are you know, delivering packages to end consumers, but probably more of a cycle in which you see much more of you know, kind of starting with um, hub, discrete hub operations 
then moving to maybe the longer haul uh, type of, of movement of goods where there's a little bit more predictability in terms of the infrastructure needs, and then ultimately moving its way closer to the more complex environments of the end consumer and the last couple of footsteps to the house. Joe, we seem to be at a point where you have conflicting sort of trends. You have consumer demand wanting things right now in their hands, wanting immediately, which means more inventory, more waste. Uh, you mentioned something early in the conversation about sustainability and the, the need for sustainability. It seems like that's conflicted with consumers wanting something right now. I mean, naturally, when you have e-commerce, you have to have product, more product in the system. I, I received boxes from Amazon and there are these giant boxes with lots of packaging and one small item. The, I'm curious, how are you thinking that shippers are going about addressing that sustainability question? Yeah, it's it's really a great question. And in fact, I would say that we're right now, a lot of organizations are starting to ask exactly the question that you're asking, you know, which is, okay, here's the world that we live in, but how do we find ways to decarbonize that, uh, our, you know, our supply chains and our delivery networks? And I don't know that there is a single answer, nor is there even a consensus answer out there. But I, I will say that even just in the last, you know, call it three to five months, the topic of decarbonization and the kind of urgency around that discussion has reached a higher degree than I have personally seen in, in quite a while and maybe even ever. So this is the, I think this is a, you know, a new frontier in the world of the transportation industry that people are kind of you know, beginning to take seriously in a way that um, you know, maybe wasn't uh, entirely or exclusively the case before. You think we'll see carbon offsets? Uh, obviously, a lot of investment in EVs, we've seen some forward development there. Uh, but do you think carbon offsets uh, are something that companies are considering? Or should we, should we expect to see some there? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing companies sort of considering the full gamut, right? Everything from the direct, you know, kind of actions that they take that, that immediately and on a point level reduces the carbon output associated with their actions through to the, you know, the spectrum of purchasing or acquiring carbon offsets. So that everything's on the table at the moment. And I think right now companies are sort of figuring out, a, a lot of companies at least are, are really thinking about what is our strategy and what is our holistic strategy need to be when we, when we address those um, topics. Now, is this driven from ESG goals that they have set by their stakeholders and their investors? Or is it, is it just they, they anticipate regulatory, the regulatory environment being such that this is something that's inevitable? Yeah, I think it's a confluence of events. Um, you know, there are some companies that are that perceive that they're driven, you know, from a kind of mission perspective. This is who we are and therefore this is how we operate. There are other organizations that are looking and seeing, hey, there might be actual revenue potential associated with adopting more sustainable practices. Um, and then there, there are other companies that look at it more from the perspective of, is there a efficiency opportunity associated with operating in a more sustainable manner? And then, of course, underlying all of that, I think companies absolutely are looking out and trying to get a sense for what is the regulatory environment going to be that we have to operate under. All, so all of those levers are coming into play. 
and they're all in some ways conflicting, but also pretty important in terms of what they're doing. I, such an amazing industry uh, and all the stuff that's happening around transportation. You know, we've talked a lot about companies that are using transportation services and how they're adapting. As you think about the transportation providers themselves, and they're being asked to adapt their own businesses around these developments, oftentimes the transportation providers are sort of on the receiving end of customer request, whether it be NFC devices or RFID, you know, every all of these elements are, you know, uh, on-time delivery and penalties if you don't deliver for that. Where are they thinking or where are they making investments or moves and what does the world look like for them in the next couple of years? Yeah, well, we actually, we looked at, um, you know, as I mentioned, when we, when we uh, conducted our study, we went out and, and looked at and asked questions of players that, you know, sort of sat across the entire transportation ecosystem, everything from manufacturers to trucking providers, logistics providers, last mile providers, all the way ultimately up into, you know, retailers themselves. And when we look at the group that are, you know, comprised of the, you know, kind of primarily logistics providers, there were a couple of things that were common about, you know, I would say what organizations are considered table stakes right now. So in other words, most people have made these investments. And if you haven't, you probably should think pretty seriously about it versus things that many companies were telling us that they were looking to invest in. So some of the things that are in that first bucket of, you know, table stakes are, you know, participating in these data sharing ecosystems, um, finding co-innovation partners. And by the way, we all, in co-innovation partners, we also include things like the um, integrity of the data sharing platforms that people play in. So, you know, cyber security and, you know, um, uh, you know, things like blockchains, right, to ensure the transparency of how data is shared. We also see it, saw a lot of interest in terms of making better use of analytics and the data that trucking companies are collecting in order to position themselves more effectively. And finally, uh, you know, a real perspective on investment in autonomous vehicles. Those are the things that that many of the, you know, the kind of um, freight players that we're seeing are telling us we're already doing or we're very serious about doing in the future. You know, other things that I would say are kind of on the emerging horizon are thinking about things like asset sharing uh, capabilities um, and expanding the pie of data that they have access to by making further investments in things like sensors and other Internet of Things data feeds and marrying that up with things like weather or social data or other location data. So those are things that are kind of, you know, coming on the horizon, but pretty soon. So a ton of stuff happening. If you're sitting down with a transportation provider and saying, this is the thing that is most meaningful to a shipper, this, looking at 2021, what are, the, what are the one or two or three things that you would guide that every single transportation provider should be prioritizing to enable them to thrive in the future? Yeah. I think it's um I think it's three things, right? It's one, get clear on your on your data, right? Because most organizations are aware that there's so much power that they can unlock from the data that they're sitting on, but they don't know how to do it, right? Or maybe they don't feel like they're doing it as effectively as possible. 
that means that many organizations, and this is maybe the, you know, the kind of eating your vegetables uh, recommendation, a lot of organizations need to go back and kind of look at what's my IT and infrastructure backbone that I'm relying my, on my operations for, right? Do I have the right cloud strategy? Do I have the right data strategy sitting behind everything? The second thing is, um, you know, then utilizing uh, that data in the right way. And that's forcing a lot of organizations to look at the their organization itself, the people and the people's capabilities that they have in-house and asking a lot of questions, I think, about what is the future successful worker within this organization looks like and how do I need to train and upskill them in order to be successful as we move into a world in which they need to be more tech savvy and more data savvy. And then the last piece of it, again, is, is just a lot of companies are excited and looking at where do we want to place bets when it comes to the world of, of autonomous and automation? And where do those bets, you know, kind of where do they make most sense based on their organization? Do they need to wait for the technology vendors to uh, bring the technology or they should, should they be actively testing this stuff out now? I think it kind of depends on where you sit, you know, in the overall ecosystem. We are absolutely seeing large organizations that are driving the adoption and development of technology, right? So organizations that are part of shipping and logistics that are actively designing, testing, innovating, you know, things like drones or things like last mile delivery robots. If in full transparency, I think many of those companies are, you know, some of the uh, larger organizations that have the ability to make those investments, right? Other organizations, I think, are, are looking around and they're seeing, hey, there's a lot of startup activity that are happening and niche solutions that are being developed and will be some of those fast followers as that technology, you know, becomes more online. Yeah, there are some companies I, I think at times patent stuff because it looks cool and they know the media will pick it up. Uh, others that will do animations and some that will do pilots. Regardless of that, it does force the industry or drives this innovation and this strategic thinking. It's a fascinating time. So, Joe, one thing I ask everybody that comes on the show is, bull call for 2025. What do you think that people aren't thinking about or looking at that uh, is going to surprise a lot of us uh, looking at the future? I think, so my bold call, I think we're going to be really surprised at the level of automation that we see already in 2025 relative to what we see today. Things that, you know, sort of feel a little bit science fiction-y, I think, are going to be, are going to be accessible to at least a portion of the population. I mean, I think back, five years ago and a lot of stuff, it's amazing that a lot of the things that are part of our lives today, like, you know, whether it's video conferencing was was pretty clunky just five years ago, uh, you know, ordering food on an app would feel weird if you didn't live in New York City. Uh, so it's it's all this stuff's happening. And go back, go 10 years ago, you know, on-demand car delivery was was just getting started, and now it's a normal part of a lot of people's lives. So, well, Joe, I really appreciate the time today. How can people reach out to you or get in touch with Deloitte if they have questions or have projects that they're trying to undertake and understand what that looks like? Yeah, they can uh, reach out to me or they can check out our Future of Movement of Goods research. 
And, uh, and we have a dedicated site on our website that folks can point themselves to uh, to learn some more information. So Deloitte, Future of Movement of Goods. Fantastic. Well, Joe, thank you so much. And uh, best of luck in rest of the year. Uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks very much. Appreciate the time.